Thank you for supporting the media outreach of New Covenant Christian Ministries. Through the powerful preaching and teaching of Pastor Bill and Dr. Deanne Johnson, family relations are being restored. The wayward are returning to God. And together, we are transforming all people into fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. Join us now for a message that will strengthen you in your faith and encourage you to be all that God has designed you to be. My Bible is open to um, 1 Corinthians chapter number 15, and we're going to start at verse number 3. We'll read 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse number 3. I'm reading from a New King James Version. For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture. Let's read it together. For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture. And that's what I want to talk to you about. Christ died for our sin. Christ died for our sin. The question is, what is sin? Um, Sin means to miss the mark. It's to act contrary to to the will and law of God. It's to engage in wrongdoing. Again, to miss the mark. To act contrary to the will and law of God to engage in wrongdoing. When we say miss the mark, the picture is of a person with an arrow and here is the target. And no matter how close they got to the target, they would always miss the mark. And so sin is every time we try to hit it, it's something about us that we miss the mark. Well, we see what sin is, um, but where did it come from? Look at Romans chapter number 5 and verse number 12. Where did sin come from? The short answer is Adam. Okay? Romans chapter 5 and verse 12 says this. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. Notice it says, therefore, just as through how many? One man sin entered the world. Of course, this is referring to the Genesis narrative where you can see in Genesis chapter 3 of Adam eating the forbidden fruit. It was given to him by his wife. He listened to his wife. The scripture talks about how Eve was deceived, but Adam wasn't. He ate of the forbidden fruit. Basically, God told him, you take care of this whole garden, but just don't eat of this. 
And Adam decided to eat. Now, this is the thing. I know when we get to heaven, we would love to have a slapping party. You know what I'm saying? Just, just lying out, just, just Adam right there. And um, everybody, because all of this started because, because of him. It's okay. You it, just take just your turn. You know. Uh, but, but this is the thing. The truth of the matter is, if you and I were in the garden, the results probably would be the same. Notice what this text says. Through one man, sin entered the world, and sin, when it enters in, it never comes by itself. It says, and death through sin. Then it says, death spread to all men. Why? Because all sin. In fact, when you look at Romans chapter 3, verse 23, it says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now, I know we aren't accustomed to talking about a hearing about sin today. In fact, it's not even stylish or politically correct to even speak of sin. There's a book that I've that been reading Um, the pastor as a public theologian, and one of the things that he points out is this. It says, many aberrant behaviors previously considered sins are now considered symptoms of some underlying psychological or social condition. So I don't have, this is what, this is what, this is what society says now. So it's not really sin, it's an underlying psychological or social condition. So if I have begun to redefine, or better said, remove sin from the vocabulary, how is it that I need to be delivered from it? If it's simply an underlying condition, it is amazing what we call an underlying condition. God calls sin. Oh, I see. I need to dig just a little bit. It's socially acceptable just simply to live together without being married. It makes economic sense. And everybody is doing it. And it used to be called shacking up. I'm just saying. Now it's we are moving in together. And there's no red, there are no red flags raised because it's no longer even shacking up. It certainly haven't reached a sin place. We okay? I may need you to start my car because I may have to run up out of here today. But are you understanding what I'm saying? 
And so the danger, ladies and gentlemen, is this. We have, we don't realize what's going on right in our midst. And so we have to recognize that everybody has sinned. Now hear me in this. Hear me in this. I don't want you to think, well, you know, I'm not shacking up and, or anything like that. You know, I'm, I'm, you know I've, I've been so good all of my life. Jesus almost didn't have to die for me. I mean, you know, you know what I'm saying, because I'm pretty, pretty high moral person. Your righteousness is as filthy rags in the sight of God. That's why he had to bring everybody on the same level and say, all have sin. All have sin. Now, now, John said it like this. If we say that we have no sin, he says we're lying. I don't care how holy, sanctified you are. If you've been, you, you can quote the book of Genesis. In four different translations, all have sinned. If you can, you, can, you can quote Philippians in Greek, all have sinned. And Christ didn't die for my condition. He died for my sin. He didn't die for what's just a social condition or, 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 or my symptom. He died for my sin. Well, what are the consequences of sin? Sin, first thing it does, it separates us from God. Sin separates us from God. Let's go back, think back through the Genesis narrative. One of the things that happened after Adam ate the forbidden fruit, he hid himself, and God had to come looking for him and say, Adam, where are you? You know the story. And he said, look, I was, I, I, I was, I, I was naked, and so therefore I, I hid myself. You know, I, I, I got myself to a place where I recognized the condition that you put me in. I broke that. I've broken this. I have separation from God. Now, understand this. When we talk about God, God, one of the expressions that's used to describe him, one of the words that's used to describe God is God is holy. When, when you're talking about God being holy, God, the word holy, is means he's other. There is nobody like him. Meaning you, you can look at all of creation and there is nothing like him. There is no one like him in terms of being God. In fact, Old Testament and New, the descriptive words for God is holy. And, it, and this is the picture of it. This is when I think about it. It's like looking at a multifaceted diamond. It's like the angels on this side begins to see a glimpse of his goodness and splendor and glory. And, and they, just, they just begin to cry out, holy! 
And then on this other side over here, they begin to look and see, oh, goodness, his splendor, his glory. And they cry out on this side, holy. Then those angels that are below, they begin to look and they say, the whole earth is full of his glory. And they said, holy. Holy, meaning he's so different. In him there is no darkness at all. God is love. God is light. There is no darkness in him. He lives in an inapproachable light. When you're talking about God, he is so different. You're talking about all power and pure love the eternal creator of heaven and earth. Everything was made by him and without him there was nothing made and he is pure. He's holy. He's righteous in his judgments. He, there is, when you begin to understand how wise he is, his wisdom is incomprehensible. When you begin to understand his love, his love has no depth. It has no end. And then sin. Sin can't dwell in that. Sin has a problem. God says it like this. If I just embrace you, I have to neglect me. If I just pull you in like you are and don't do something in you, something is, is, is not going to work. And so what happens is this. That's why he says there has to be a separation. And one of the first things he did, he ran Adam out of the garden. Separated him. In fact, and put an angel with a flaming sword there. Don't you come back this way. Because the danger is you'll go back and eat the tree of the uh, fruit of life. And you'll be stuck in that sinful state. So it separates us from God, but also sin, the consequence of sin is it sentences us to death. The wages, the payment of sin is death. You die. Hear what I'm saying. When it says we die, there is a spiritual death. But there's also a natural death. Death began to enter. Adam didn't know death until sin showed up. And when sin showed up, death spread to all men. Natural death, spiritual death, and eventually eternal death. And so that's a consequence of sin. And I'm getting a little ahead myself now. That's why when you're talking about a person who is lost, they are dead in their transgressions and sins. I want you to hear this. A person that does not know Jesus Christ, and I heard somebody say this. It's like, you know, if you're not saved, uh, it's like you're out there in the ocean and then... uh, and then you're drowning, and then God throws you a lifeline, and, and then uh, and you reach up and grab it. No, dead folk can't grab lifelines. 
You were dead. So everything that happened to get you saved, God did. While you were dead in your transgressions and sin, his word had to hit your dead spirit and cause a reviving to happen to cause you to come alive in him. Hallelujah. It separated me from God. It sentenced me to death. And it singled me out as the object of his wrath. It singled me out. I began to have a target because, listen, God is a just God. And he said, if you eat this, you're going to surely die. You had a target on your back. I had a target on my back. It sentenced me to death. Let me just say it like this. Sin is pleasurable for a season, but it's lethal. It'll kill you. Now, I'm, 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 I'm doing everything I can to resist going into s- specific instances. But I might as well grab one right here. No, don't do it. So, 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 somebody just simply said it like this. It takes you further than you want to go. It keeps you f- longer than you want to stay. And so when you, that, that, that's the consequence of sin. I, it really, I become the object of God's wrath. We want to go back to 1 Corinthians chapter number 15 and verse number 3. You got it? This time I want to look at it in the English Standard Version because it reads a little differently. Amen. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. Notice, I delivered to you as of first importance, as of first importance. What I received. What is he talking about? I delivered to you the gospel. The the thing that is most important that I want to get to you is the gospel. Wait a minute. He is talking to the Corinthian church. I want you to notice 1 Corinthians chapter number 12 13 and 14 deals with the gifts of the Spirit. Chapter 12 has the delineation of those gifts. Chapter 13, the motivation of those gifts. Chapter 14, the operation of those gifts. But when he gets to chapter 15, he says, I'm delivering to you first. The thing that is most important is the gospel, not the gift. Because you can be gifted and lost. I'm not, you know, we'll teach on the gifts of the Spirit and all that, and that's important. But what he's saying is this. Paul said, if you're going to get anything, get this. What is necessary? Christ died for your sins. 
That has to be the thing that is on the inside of you that your faith is built upon. He died for your sin. Back up to verse number one of 1 Corinthians 15. He says, moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you which also you received and in which you stand, by which also you were saved if you hold fast that word which I preached to you unless you believed in vain. So basically he's saying, look, I'm delivered to you the gospel. What's the gospel? Christ died for your sin. I, I delivered to you the gospel. What's the gospel? Christ died for your sin. He died for your sin. So now you have to respond to the gospel. What is your response to the gospel? He says you got to receive it, stand in it, be saved by it, and hold firmly to it. That's what that text tells us. He says you need to receive it, stand in it, be saved by it, and hold firmly to it. Receive it means that you need to take it along, that you need to receive it near. Then he says, you need not only receive it, wait, 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 let me say this. There is no salvation when you reject the gospel. So hear me, don't come up talking about, well, you know, I was just thinking, and, and you know, just especially nowadays, um, you know, so many roads, so many roads, so many roads do what? Lead to God? No. Jesus said, I am the, the, and comes to the Father. Well, you know, that, don't you think that's, that's kind of being, you know, pretty narrow. Yes. Narrow is the way. Do you, do, do you think, well, you know, I think that's, uh, um, that, that, that's not being inclusive. He said whosoever will, that's as inclusive as you can get. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord, that's as inclusive as you can get. But you've got to get to him. You've got to receive the gospel. And then not only receive the gospel, this is what's going to be challenging. You've got to stand in it. That means you've got to continue firmly and be well established because you're going to hear things that are contrary to the truth. There are going to be so many ideologies, philosophies that go contrary to what God said. There's so many worldviews that are contrary to a Christian worldview. And many times, we're, if we're not careful, we can become eclectic. We can take a little this, a little that, and a little the other and mix it all together. And when the winds blow, we are lean in the direction of what's popular rather than what's true. And he said, if you hold firm to the gospel, Christ died for my sin. I'm standing on that. I need to be able to stand on that in the boardroom, in the classroom, at the homeroom, wherever I am, 
it does not matter. I know where my salvation is, and I'm not going to compromise that. And he said to this church, you need to stand in that. Not only stand in it, he says, look, you need to be saved by it. That good news, that gospel is saving you. It means deliver, protect, heal, and preserve. Deliver, protect, heal, and preserve. He says, be saved by it. This is what I love about it. We have been saved. We are saved. And we are being saved. I have been saved. From the very position of sin, I am being saved while I'm here in this body dealing with sin, but eventually I'm going to be completely saved from the presence of sin. Are you understanding? And so I'm, I'm saved by the gospel. I'm saved by that gospel. And then he says, hold firmly to it. Hold firmly to it. That means hold it in your memory. Keep on your mind and continue to believe it. Hold firmly to it. Hold it in your memory. Keep it on your mind and continue to believe it. The gospel. Why? This is, this is the thing. Have you ever learned a new computer program? You went to a particular class or you were learning some new skill set, but a particular computer program, you went to the class and you were learning, you were there with the instructor and you had your computer and you were looking at them and as long as they were teaching, you could make it do what they said it could do. And you were learning your software and everything, everything's fine. And then you went home. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You went home. Now, 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 now. You have to hold it in your memory, keep it on your mind, and continue to believe it. As long as you immediately get on it and continue to do it, you'll be able to do pretty much what you did at the classroom, and you won't lose that. But, if you go home and give it, don't do it for a few days. You go, now, I know I did this myself. I saw it work. I know it worked. And, and what happens is this. When we're talking about the gospel, when it says hold firmly to it, if you don't keep the gospel in your mind that Christ died for your sin and that was the main thing, you'll begin to, it'll begin to lose its importance in your life, in your priority, in everything else. And the next thing you know, it doesn't matter if people die and go to hell. You said, Pastor, that was kind of harsh. We pray for the loss. And I'm not saying an outward demonstration depicts an inward conviction at all. But is your heart really involved in it? 
I've, I've been challenged. I've been challenged saying, okay, Lord, we, we do this, but I'm asking you, let it never just, you know, let it not just be something, a filler in the service. You know, do we really care about them? And so what I'm getting at is this. Ladies and gentlemen, Christ died for our sin. And he didn't die just for our sin, but he died for the sin of the whole world. Because his desire is that none would perish. John Griffith worked as the controller of a railroad drawbridge across the Mississippi River. One day in the summer of 1937, John took his eight-year-old son, Greg, along with him to work. At noon, John put up the bridge so ships could pass, and then he sat on the observation deck with his son to eat lunch. John was startled by the sound of a train whistle from the east. He knew it was the Memphis Express, a 400-passenger train headed over the Mississippi to East St. Louis. He raced from the observation deck to the control tower. Just before he threw the lever to throw, lower the bridge, he glanced down to see if any ships were passing and noticed that his son had slipped from the observation tower and fallen onto the gear mechanism. His leg was caught in the cogs of the two main gears. John Griffith froze for a moment in fear. The Memphis Express was nearing the river. If he did not lower the bridge, the train would not have no time to stop. But if he lowered the bridge, it would crush his son to death. In this dilemma, John knew what he had to do. He grabbed the master lever and lowered the bridge. The train was just starting to cross the river when the bridge was completely lowered. As the train passed his control booth, he saw the faces of the passengers. No one looked at him. No one looked down at his dead son on the gear assembly. In his anguish, John shouted, I sacrificed my son for you. is but a faint glimpse of what the father did in sacrificing his son to atone for our sin. The difference is with John, it was an accident. But this text in 1 Corinthians 15 says he died according to the scripture. Meaning God planned this far in advance and he knew that the only way to redeem us, to make it possible for us, was to intentionally kill his own son. It says, if he did not spare his own son, how will he not with him freely? give us all things. Ladies and gentlemen, Christ died for our sins. Amen. 
We hope you've enjoyed this message. For more information on other products and materials, please contact us at 770-484-9300, Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. Or visit our website at www.newcov.org. If you're in the Atlanta area, we invite you to join us for one of our dynamic services. Once again, thank you for receiving the living word of God from New Covenant Christian Ministries, where we are transforming all people into fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ.